Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you today on this Memorial Weekend. And uh, we've been doing a series on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? And um, we're going to continue that for several weeks, trying to peel off some of the layers that often get put upon the gospel so that we forget what it is. And so that's what I want us to look at for the next few weeks is the, the uh, bedrock foundation gospel truth that is given to us in the Old and New Testaments. And the gospel is not good advice. Um, good advice is what uh, somebody says you can do to help your finances or your marriage or several other maybe areas that you need. We all need good advice. But the gospel is good news. That's something God has done, not something you should do. I was just looking at some old uh, sermons and ideas that I've had in time past. Uh, Five things that please God. Seven steps to effective prayer. Ten keys to a happy marriage. Uh, none of those worked, by the way. There, there's only one key to a happy marriage, and that's do what you're told. So, so I had got rid of that sermon right off. But there's a lot of good advice. We want the good news. Amen? What, is, what has God done for us that we cannot do for ourselves? And how... How important is that? How do we explain that? So turn with me today to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read beginning in verse 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19, this is the English Standard Version. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I want to stop right there, because that word counting, in the Greek text, the original text in which Paul wrote, is the Greek word logizo. We get, you may have heard the Greek word logos, or logos, logo. It literally means to count as in math. It was a finance term when you took a debit or an amount in one set of books and you erased it. Maybe you transferred it to another account. Uh, Maybe it was paid off. But the idea is that It's an accounting term, and it means to take away mathematically. It can also be used to put into the books. Maybe your checkbook is kind of like mine many times. There's nothing there. And so we make a deposit, and now the book shows an amount exceeding your need. So there you go. And so that's the word that is used here. Now, 
uh, and I want to press this a little bit. Give me that next screen up. Uh, because this is what it says about Abraham. What does the Scripture say regarding Abraham? He's the great Old Testament patriarch, and uh, both Jews and Muslims and Christians alike look back to him as a forefather of our faith. And here's, here's how he became righteous. It says, what does Scripture say about him? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. And there's our word, legidzo. Uh, this was before Abraham. Abraham comes before Moses. This is before Abraham was circumcised, uh, the great sign of the Jewish people. Uh, he's quoting from Genesis 15. Abraham didn't even offer Isaac up in full surrender till Genesis 22. So, so Abraham believed God and there was righteousness put, counted, mathematically equated to him before he had done anything good or, or gave evidence of it. So that's the idea that Paul is using here when he says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God did not count their trespasses against them uh, because of the cross. He also quotes David um, in Romans chapter 4, verse 6. David speaks of the blessing or the blessedness, the happiness of the one to whom God counts righteousness. Um, And so you can see that there again is Legidzo. David, you remember David was guilty of adultery. David was guilty of uh, having Bathsheba's husband Uriah put to death. And so he was, he had in his record a lot of black. And yet, here's what God says when he sought the Lord. It says, David experienced the blessedness, the blessing of one to whom God counts. He just takes it and he puts it in the books. He, he cooked the books for David. And it says that that was apart from his works. He didn't do anything to get that. Verse 8, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, Legidzo, his sin. So the, the, it's two-dimensional. It's, he does not count your sin, but he does count righteousness deposited on your behalf. Now, there's a great example of this. Uh, let me... Uh, uh, let me just point out to you that uh, before we, before I give you this next verse, but to be, um, to be counted as a sinner uh, is to be treated as such. In other words, you go into the category of that, you get treated as that. And here's uh, uh, Luke twenty two thirty seven. I don't think we have this, but let me give you this reference. Talking about Jesus Christ, he was numbered, numbered or counted, Legidzo, Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, with the transgressors. Now, question, 
Was Jesus a transgressor? Thank you. (laughs) This side's making me nervous. No, Jesus was not a transgressor, but it says he was counted among the transgressors. He was accounted legizo. And so what happened to him? He was treated as one. Amen? He was crucified. He was rejected by God on the cross. He was put to death. So you don't, if you're accounted as such, you're treated as such. Now that's important because reverse that and what do you have? I, Abraham, David, the believer in the New Testament, is counted, legizo. We're counted righteous, so what happens? We're treated as such. So we're embraced by the Father as righteous. We're blessed by the Father as righteous. We're loved by the Father as righteous. We're elevated to the Father as righteous. And when we die, we're taken home to heaven by the Father as righteous. Can I get a witness on that? Y'all going to make me preach now if you don't wake up a little. The songwriter put it like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone just to take my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Be seated. Be seated. I say that for the CD that'll come out. They'll think y'all are all standing. But look at, give me Philemon uh, 117. Look at this. Here is a the way Paul, Paul uses this word more than anybody else in the New Testament, legizo. Look at how he uses this. He's writing to Philemon, and he has a slave named Onesimus who ran away from home, and he met Paul. Paul brought him to Christ. He was wonderfully converted, and then Paul, listening to him talk about Onesimus, his, his owner, he said, I, I must tell you that I've mistreated my owner. I've stolen from my owner. I've done things, and I really need to get that right. And so Paul said, well, go back to him, and I'll write you a letter, because I know this man. I know Philemon. Take this letter to him. He's a good friend of mine. And, he, and he, So Onesimus, the slave, takes the letter back to Philemon to make his apologies and make restitution, whatever he needs to do. And so here's the way Paul said to Philemon, he said, concerning Onesimus, the slave. He said, if you consider me your partner, your friend, receive him, that is the runaway slave, as you would me. And if he has wronged you at all, or if he owes you anything, put that on my charge card. Now notice that is exactly the same idea Paul has in Romans 4 and 2 Corinthians 5. 
What he owes, I will pay. And what, what you, how you would treat me and receive me, treat him and receive him. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That is exactly the gospel. I will change places. My record will now become his, so he's treated as me. And his record will become mine, and I'll pay his bill, and I'll be treated as him. Now, friends, that's the gospel. That makes your heart sing and your feet dance. If, you, if Baptists would dance, it would make our feet dance. So when we look at this, it is to be transferred. There is a great transfer, a great exchange that takes place. Favor is transferred because status is changed. Because punishment was transferred to the substitute. Um, there is a author, he, he was once the... Um, he was once the president of Princeton. He's an old Presbyterian, so this is not a charismatic or health and wealth TV evangelist. But here's what he says. To, he says, to count sin to someone is to lay it to their charge and treat them as such. He's talking about this word, legizo. He said, if you count them as sinner, you treat them as such. Similarly to account righteousness to someone, to set, set it to their account, is to treat them accordingly. Now, my f- sense is that uh, Christians today have often got hold of that first part, that Jesus took our sin. But what we haven't gotten a hold of is that second part, that just as Jesus was counted ri- uh, unrighteous, so I am counted righteous in him. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 is going to go on and say, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that our expectations in life should be commensurate with our faith. We don't come to Jesus and ask for good because we are worthy. Let's just sweep that away and forget that because we already confess that. We're not. If we're Christians, we've already said we've sinned. We're not worthy. But let's go and as one who is declared righteous, counted righteous because of Him. So we go to our Heavenly Father and we say, Heavenly Father, please bless in this. Please hear this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we would expect blessings on our mind and emotions. In other words, peace. Not chaos, not anxiety. But we should be but but we should expect from God that which righteousness brings. We should expect from God blessing on our marriage. We should expect anointing, like the anointing that comes on the righteous. We should expect the happiness that comes between parents and children. Amen? Don't don't dread children. I, I meant to mention about Dave and Connie. Dave, did you mention you have little Avery today? Well, we praise God. Dave and Connie have a new little baby girl. Amen. 
We, we are expecting, because Dave and Connie are righteous in Christ, we are expecting great harmony, great happiness in their future in accordance with that righteousness which has been put to their account through Jesus Christ. Do not dread the future. Do not dread the, the, uh, do, the sense... Pe- people sometimes carry around that sense of uh, doom and gloom. Something bad's going to happen. But expect God to bless in accordance with the gospel. Your sins were on Christ. His sins were on you. And that in the end you will not only be embraced as God's own child but given eternal life. Now, there is, as we go on in this section, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again, verse 19 and 20. Uh, Maybe pull that one back up. Here we go. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them. So what I have looked at over the years, and this is the conclusion I come to, Y'all can correct me if you need to. But uh, that in the Old Testament, if we look at Old Testament and then the cross and then putting faith in Christ, it would look something like this. In the Old Testament, God was reconciled to Israel. They were the chosen people. They were elect people. But, you know, when it comes to the nations, the world at large, God was not reconciled to them. In fact, you will see, if you read the book of Joshua, how that God told Joshua to exterminate the Canaanites because they were full of idolatry, they were full of uh, uh, sinfulness and perversion, and so God used Israel and Joshua to go in and bring judgment. And you look at the Moabites or the Ammonites, Deuteronomy 24 and 5 talks about how that they were excluded from the people of God for at least 10 generations, can't come to the worship. For ten generations. So God had his back on the nations. And the nations returned the favor and they had their back toward God. But then at the cross, God imputed the world's sins to Christ. All the nations now, so that the nations, in, since the gospel, since the cross, the nations are on the same plane as Israel in the Old Testament. He has imputed the sins of the nation, the world, onto Christ. Thus, God is now reconciled. He says, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation because he was reconciling the world to himself. So God has now turned and is facing uh, the, the pagan nations, but they still don't have their face to him. They still have their back to him but there's been a change. Amen? Give me the arrows uh, to illustrate this. Um, In the Old Testament, both God and man, the world, estranged from each other. But after the cross, God imputed their trespasses to Jesus, and now God is reconciled. God is no longer a God of judgment against the nations. His anger has been appeased at the cross. He poured it out on the cross. But the problem is, the nation still got their back against him. 
So Paul says he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we go and we proclaim, God is not mad at you. Look at the cross. Jesus died, and therefore you may return to him and fully expect to be received and embraced. God is reconciled. You're not, or maybe you are today. I mean, I'm assuming many of you are. You wouldn't be here. But, but the world at large is not. So our message is, be ye reconciled to him. That is, at your conversion. At conversion, God's not only reconciled, but we are too. Remember the prodigal son story? See, who's, who needs reconciliation in Luke 15? The father stands every day waiting for the son to come home. And he's looking. He's... He's already forgiving. He's already reconciled. All it needs now is for the prodigal to return to the father. Now, let's press this a little bit more. This, is, this idea of imputation or counting as sinful or righteous, this transfer that brings reconciliation is taught in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the idea of legal transfer, legizo, is not only taught, Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteous, but it's illustrated in the sacrificial system. Uh, give me the picture of the priest uh, in Leviticus 16. Look at this. This, isn't, this is the way you, that the Israelites in the Old Testament dealt with guilt. They transferred it. It says, Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their sins, and he shall thus put them on the head of the goat or the sheep, and the goat will bear all the iniquities. So here here comes the priest representing the people. He lays his hands on the sacrifice, and he confesses the sins of himself and the people and transfers it. To lay hands on is to transfer the guilt. Then the goat is then taken and slain and burned on the brazen altar, representing that the wrath of God came, the judgment of God came on the sins, which you transferred over. See, guilt is transferable. Hallelujah. And Jesus... Our sins were transferred to him and his righteousness to us. Now, once that goat was killed, burned on the brazen altar, then that worshiper could then go and walk in the freedom and favor of God. Now, we've got a little video clip. I wanted to show you this this, uh, divine exchange, this accounting uh, that's illustrated in the Old Testament. Uh, You ready, Dave? Okay, show us the little clip, and then we'll comment on it. This, uh, this will be the Old Testament. All right, so there you are. And now we want to comment on it. <laughs> no, here we go. This is from New Creation Church in Singapore. Can you stop that right there, Dave? Back it up a little bit. I want to, I want to point out that... To be accepted, the worshiper 
is not examined. Amen? The worst, he brings the lamb. The priest doesn't say, okay, put the lamb over here. Let me look at you and see if you qualify. Where's his qualification? The lamb is without blemish. He couldn't bring a, a, a blemished lamb. And when you come to pray, who does, Jesus, who does God look at? See, that's the thing that I'm saying to you today. Pray through Jesus Christ. Because he's the one God examines. All right, let's, let's, let's go ahead and run this and, and look at this. I'll try to behave myself. There's the transfer. This is the altar where they burn the sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, You can see there at the end where the innocence of the lamb, because it would not have been killed had it not been a substitute. It did nothing worthy of death. So the worshiper who brought the lamb, he walks away in the status of the lamb while the lamb perishes in the status of the sinner. Now, the Old Testament has a sacrificial system where they did that every day. Every day. Until Jesus came. And when Jesus died, he took our, our position and standing as the sinner, and now we take his position and standing as the righteous one with God as Father. So when Jesus taught us to pray, like start out like this, Our Father. Not, oh God, I know, I know that I haven't done good. I know I haven't tithed and I haven't been to church that much. No, he said, start at the top. Remember last Sunday? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Start at the front. Start at the finish line. So this... Truth is not only rooted in the Old Testament, illustrated in the sacrificial system, brought about through Jesus at the cross, but it's also emphasized in the early church, this divine transaction. Let me give you this quote, and I'm going to wrap this up here. There is a, there is a letter written by a disciple to a man named Diognetus. This is like, goes back to about 100, 125 A.D. And here's what he says. He's writing to this pagan named Diognetus. And he says, Oh, the surpassing kindness and love of God. He didn't hate us. He didn't reject us. He didn't even bear a grudge against us. But in his mercy, he took our sins. In whom was it 
possible for us, the ungodly, to be justified except in the Son of God alone. Oh, that sweet exchange. The incomprehensible work of God. The unexpected blessings that the sinfulness of so many should be in the righteous person and the righteousness of that one should justify so many sinners. I love it when he says, oh, that sweet exchange. That's the gospel, my friend. It's truly, it's not good advice. That's good news. It's an announcement of what has happened at the cross. I have one other verse that I want to show you, one more screen to put up here. It, uh, it comes from Revelation at that final judgment day. And it's about when, when Jesus is the, sitting on his great white throne, and it says he opens the books. The books are open. All these books, these, the record of works, the record of sins, the record of motives, the record of deeds. Yikes! But then he says, another book is opened. What's that other book? Because if you read Revelation 20, those whose name is in that other book are the ones who enter into heaven. And he tells what that other book is. It's the singular book, not plural. The others, the book of works is the books, plural. But this is the book, Revelation 13, 8, of the life of the Lamb. That's literally what it says. This is the book of the life of the Lamb. That is, if you want to know uh, where my record is, it's under His. If you want to know where uh, His record is, it's in my name. So when God opens the books, they will find the life of the Lamb under the name of Larry Rednauer. I get His works. He gets mine. That's God's bookkeeping. It's a divine exchange. It's the gospel. It's that sweet moment of transaction when he races from one book and puts Jesus' record in the other. And I praise him today for it. It makes me want to jump out of my skin today. And it makes me happy. Oh, the blessedness, he said to David, of the man to whom God does not count his sin, but he counts righteousness to him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us and for um, not only um, life, but through Christ, a life worth living, a life that's blessed, a life that's happy, a life that's forgiven. Thank you, Heavenly Father. May we go today as that worshiper in the Old Testament walked away from the altar with a sense of, his, of your favor and joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.